You are listening to Uncomfortable. Comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. Hi and welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable, the podcast that has comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. I'm your host Debbie Roach and in this episode I have a conversation with tarot card reader and pop culture witch Lindsay Brainin. Now, before I get into the episode, I just want to mention that Uncomfortable is an independent podcast and needs your support. You can support us financially by visiting uncomfortable.blog forward slash donate. And if you're a small business that aligns with our values, then reach out to us about sponsorship opportunities. You can email me at hello at uncomfortable.blog. Hey, if you can't financially support the pod, then no worries. Just keep listening and consider giving us five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Now, let me tell you a bit about my guest. Lindsay is the card reader and stargazer behind Dark Lake Tarot, where she combines her intuition, love of storytelling and esoteric studies to encourage her clients to rediscover the divine on your own terms via tarot and astrology readings. As a pop culture witch, she also alchemizes those studies with her interest in the persevering and transformative powers of fandom, which she explores in her podcast, Hate Magical Girl. An immigrant from the Bahamas, Lindsay recognizes that she operates on the stolen territories of Turtle Island, known as Vancouver, Canada, and devotes all her practices to the decolonization and liberation of black diasporic and indigenous peoples. This podcast was recorded and produced in Vancouver, BC, and the land on which I work is the unceded shared traditional territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Lindsay, thanks so much for chatting to me on the Uncomfortable Podcast. How are you doing today? Uh, today I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, try not to think about COVID too much. Uh, but it's hard. Yeah, yeah. Aside from, you know, the world slowly unraveling at the seams, I'm great. I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of like <laughs> I'm as good as anyone else is right now. So exactly. Yeah, well, thanks so much for being here. I'm pretty excited about this topic. And of course, I found you via Instagram. I was just yes. following hashtags. That's usually how I find guests. Yeah. And I came across you in the Witches of Vancouver um, Instagram group, which was very cool. So before we get into our topic today, I'd love you to share just a little bit about what you do. Sure. So my name is Lindsay. I am originally from the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. I've been living in the unceded lands of the Coast Salish people for the last 10 years. Uh, by day, I work at a fabric store. Uh, and by night, I am a burlesque performer, tarot reader and podcast host. Amazing, like three very cool things, in my yeah. opinion. Always been tempted to try out a burlesque class and have not quite made it yet, but it's... We'll get it's you on stage at some point, again, when it's like safe to do so, because yeah. right now like, trying to decide that stuff is a pain in the butt. But one day, we'll get you there. 
Wendy, Wendy, my mum's done it. She's done burlesque. So I'm like, come on, I haven't even done burlesque. And my mum has. We will talk about that later. After this, because I have questions. (laughs) I think I know where you're going to go with this, given that I have listened to your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, of course, uh, we're specifically kind of talking about the occult and witchcraft and your interest in that. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that you have a bit of a pop culture twist to, to your connection here. So firstly, yeah, tell us a little bit about how you became interested in that whole world sure so uh i am what is known as a pop culture witch which means that my witchcraft practice specifically uh codifies and uses the imagery the iconography the meanings behind various pop culture franchises to kind of infuse in my artwork that all became a thing because i am a giant nerd um i have always been a giant nerd and pop culture has been one of like the constants in my life as I got older and became a quote-unquote adult. Um, I never necessarily thought about mixing it with my witchcraft practice, but when I decided that I was going to go ahead and actually self-identify as a witch, I realized that a lot of the quote-unquote traditional paths didn't really mean anything to me. Um, Some of this is due to just how I was brought up and others just like, I know what has been there for me when I needed to draw on power for myself, my own self-confidence and my own boost. And... By and large, it was always the stories that I consumed as a kid, the stories I consumed as a teenager. Um, So I did a little bit of uh, Tumblr digging back in the day when Tumblr was still a viable (laughs) platform. (laughs) And I found a whole collection of pop culture witches. So they would take franchises like Supernatural if they were interested in demonology. They would take Harry Potter because, well, that's obvious. Um, In my case, uh, anime was the big uh, pop culture draw for me. So I would use Magical Girls. So that would be Sailor Moon. That would be Cardcaptor Sakura. That would be Revolutionary Girl Utena, Puella Magia Madoka Madoka. Like all of those uh, franchises that really concentrated on the empowerment uh, of women, of uh, femme-identified bodies, but specifically through the veins of femininity, which was something that I struggled with as a child. Um, I was very much a tomboy. I didn't like makeup. I didn't like pink. I didn't like dresses. I didn't like any of that shit. And of course, now I am 31 and I am all about that shit. Uh, so it was super powerful for me. And I realized that anytime that I did something that was in line with, well, okay, this character used this symbol. She's associated with these colors. This is the stuff that she is passionate about. Let me try and channel my power through that. And I would often get pretty amazing results. So she's like, all right, I guess this is, this is just how I'm doing it. Yeah, that's so cool. Like it, it seems like, you know, pop culture and especially the anime has played such a big part in your life. How do you think that is actually played a big part in like the modern witchcraft movement? Because I do, I see that, mm-hmm. I see it, but I'd it's love to It's coming up super, right? So I think the important thing about any esoteric study is that first off, it is answering the unanswerable. That's its role. That's the same thing with uh, ancient religions. That's the same thing with ancient mythologies. They're all storytelling at the end of the day. They're all trying to figure out what is going on in the world that they can't quantify, that they can't study, that science doesn't allow, or at the time, science didn't allow for them to basically understand. So 
these larger story archetypes from ancient mythology have found their way into modern media time and time again because they're easy, they're recognizable, and they have a power within of themselves. Um, some persons uh, in chaos magic might link them to the ideas of agorges or uh, servitors, where it's essentially a thought form that has now gained power from the populace. Mm. So I think that uh, this is going to sound real hilarious for everybody who thinks that Harry Potter leads people to witchcraft. I think it's exactly that. I think it is. It is the uh, it's lowering the barrier of mysticism that is usually associated with uh, magic and presenting it in a way that is not only accessible, but tells very important stories that are crucial to humanity's development. I have been a large proponent of the idea that modern pop culture is the exact same thing as mythology. I would describe it as living myth. The very difference is way back when temple officiants and high priests and high priestesses, they were the ones who were deciding what was mythology and what wasn't. Nowadays, media is in the hands of everybody. If you ever found a franchise that you really liked and then you're like, I didn't really like how this character had their resolution. All you got to go is to go to like an archive of our own or fanfiction.net and you will find so many people writing that particular wrong. Nowadays, mythology, media, it's malleable. It's in the hand of the consumer as it is in the hand of a creator. And I think that is some really fucking powerful magic. It is. It is. And, you know, when I was young, so I'm late 30s, getting close to 40. But when I was young, I remember my mom had a bit of an interest in witchcraft. And she had, excuse me, she had some books that I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I would try and read them. But it just Mm -hmm. seemed so unreachable for me i didn't understand yeah. it right and it, that yeah, was the it, problem i had too with some like as i was like oh i'm gonna learn about this type of thing mm-hmm. so i'm learning about like wicca or western magic and all the rest of that and it's just like first off first off all those books are hella white <laughs> and speaking as a black person that doesn't quite work for me not saying it isn't powerful but it does not resonate and part of the other reason about why i like mythology and why i like modern media is specifically it's far more it's far easier nowadays to understand the why of something was created as opposed to way back when so when i approach it from an anthropological lens when i'm looking at those older uh tomes of witchcraft and magical practice you understand that these were most of the time created by old white dudes who are cobbling together things from different cultures that they had no right to cobble from in the first place. And then they're presenting it. This is gigantic truth and worse. They're using it as a, a power play and they're bringing in young impressionable individuals, often girls to do whatever the fuck it was they wanted. And I hated that shit even yeah. more so once I found it out. And that's like, you can see why a lot of people still see you know witchcraft as some sort of cult because of those you know those leaders that weren't really being very truthful to to the teachings exactly yeah no no I love that but yeah then pop culture just um came in and you know Harry Potter was huge for me as well in terms of (laughs) witchcraft and and not just Harry Potter but so many different tv shows a lot of people a lot of people like there's always like that one gateway so like in my generation harry potter would have come in around the tail end because we're not actually that far off in age i'm in my young 30s um so harry potter was huge but other tv shows like charmed uh Mm. buffy the vampire slayer 
were also super, super important. Um, again, for me, watching cartoons and anime, uh, Sailor Moon and Cardcaptor Sakura, especially Cardcaptor Sakura, now that I'm re-watching it as an adult, is very firmly entrenched in this combination of a form of Western and Eastern magic and making it work. And that has been very fascinating to rediscover nowadays. Um, and so every series, ha- every generation kind of has their series where there's this that threshold that gets blown open. And it doesn't always have to be with magic, but oftentimes it does have a magical uh, pull to it. A great example from nowadays would have been uh, Steven Universe. Oh, I haven't heard of that. Okay. So first off, watch Steven Universe. It's a really, really great cartoon. It does a lot for uh, feminism, specifically in the way that it shows that men, uh, boy characters in particular, can be soft and quote-unquote feminine, but still possess a great amount of power. But on the magic side of it... um, the characters known as the Crystal Gems, there are these uh, alien life forms that are now living on Earth. They present themselves as feminine, but they themselves have no gender, which is an important thing to note for the way that their story is told. But all of the characters, because they present themselves um, named after certain gemstones, which means the geminology of what those gemstones normally represent is also very important to what their character drive is. And I thought that was very, very fascinating. That was the first thing that brought me into that series. And then I stayed for everything else. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to look that one up. There's, Do it. I, yeah. I feel like there's been so much, like, have you seen, I know this wasn't a question I was planning on asking you, but I'm curious to know, like, how have you seen pop culture progress when it comes to, you know, showing witchcraft and the occult and magic in television? I mean, if I had to think way back to like as early as I possibly can, the only show I can think of would have been Bewitched. And I didn't or, watch yeah, that. Bewitched or- I dream of, or I dream a genie, for example. Ah, okay, okay. I, do, I right. don't know that one, but I remember my mum talking about Bewitched and maybe there oh, be Bewitched was runs. a big cultural landmark. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So there I have two opinions on that. On mm-hmm. the one hand, I think that witchcraft, as far as its general uh pop culture portrayal, by and large has been pretty positive. You always have your um you have your good witches, you have your bad witches, you have witches in shows for adults like Bewitched. You have shows that are more catered towards children. The thing that I like about fandom in particular is that those of us who grew up watching those shows, we took those internally, and now we're the ones making the shows. So it's far easier for us to bake those codes into the media that we are now making for the next generation, and it's going to keep going on and on. One of my favorite things nowadays in particular is watching a show and realizing, oh, they pulled that segment from this show. That means that they were my age watching that particular show or being influenced by this Magical Girl series, for example. Sailor Moon and Utena in particular have been popping up a lot. Um, There's a show that I've been watching little snippets of uh, called Craig of the Creek, which is a very, very cute show. It's one of the few that I've seen nowadays with a predominantly African-American cast. And one of the characters just had a Magical Girl transformation that was bar for bar Sailor Moon. And I'm like, ah, And that's so great as a person of color, as a black woman in particular, because the one downside about witchcraft being in pop culture, it's almost always white coded or that people of color aren't allowed to have magic. And when we do have magic, it makes us primal and makes us feral and makes us scary. So in episode two of my podcast, The Magical Girl, I specifically uh, talked about how witchcraft is often used 
as another way of explaining away the blackness of a character. And oftentimes where we know that, hey, you can't get away with racist tropes in uh, TV anymore because, I mean, they still do, but you shouldn't be able to anymore. Yeah, yeah, people can uh, hold it a lot easier. A lot easier. Yeah. But if you code it in, oh, well, we're not doing this to this Black character because she happens to be Black. We're doing it because she's a witch. That's an extra thorny situation. And oftentimes witches of color are supremely marginalized, we're fetishized, we're um, made to be this strange other that has to be subdued, tamed, controlled, or completely eradicated. And it's not just a Black thing, but I notice it obviously very much more as a Black person. Um, that's not to say that that's across the board what's happening. It's getting slowly, it's getting better slowly and surely, but there have been way too many missteps when it comes to presenting um blackness in the vein of witchcraft and allowing that to be your stand-in for this is why this person deserves to be treated poorly mm-hmm. yeah yeah no and i i did actually really enjoy listening to your episode where you talked about that so folks who are listening please check out Lindsay's podcast <laughs> um, i'm working out episode three is supposed to be coming out hopefully like soon so, I've, I've been sleeping on it for so long but it's it's coming out Hey, it's a lot of work. I get it. Um, yes. But I, I will post links to that as well, just to make sure our listeners can access it. Super easy. So yes. to go just off on a, a slightly different tangent, I'm curious to know what it is that you get from witchcraft. Um, you had mentioned in our pre-call that you kind of were raised in an Anglican uh, setting. Uh, so what was it that you get from witchcraft that you didn't get from the religion that you were raised in? Huh, that's a funny one. Um, because now that I'm quote unquote older and wiser, I'm noticing that the things that I get from witchcraft nowadays are kind of the same peace of mind uh, contemplations that I should have been getting growing up as an Anglican or growing up as a Christian. Um, I think the largest thing is that I lack the need to be answerable to anybody but myself I think it's that realizing that I am actually far more in control than I realized that has been super empowering um I am able to tailor my craft to my needs so sometimes I will put the pop culture stuff away for a little bit and I will start reading about uh herbalism or I will start researching about my ancestral practices and starting to learn a little bit more about that I can change the mold and so long as I am being respectful about the things that I am learning about and I try to practice as ethically as I can then I don't have to answer to a higher power I that's one thing I need to point out um oftentimes people think that witches believe in satan uh no that is a Christian byproduct, and I don't fly with that nonsense. Um, some witches work with deity. Some witches believe in deity. I'm pretty ambivalent. I think that there is maybe a larger grand cosmos things, but we're also so infinitesimally small in the universe. I don't think they're really looking at us that closely. Um, so I need to, that's my small little uh, caveat there. Um, so I think it is that freedom of needing to hold up to some sort of doctrine that I know has been misconstrued and used to manipulate and hurt even more so again coming uh from a place as a black woman knowing that christianity has been used in the past to specifically subjugate my people and my ancestors now that's not saying that everybody who i know is a christian is terrible uh obviously my family still is and i love them dearly and they're very respectful of me and my choices which is great um but growing up definitely like noting the uh 
weird hypocrisies about how I was raised, how people expected me to act and what they were doing at the same time, which is like, mm -hmm. mm, I don't agree with that. So I think it's definitely that that self-liberation is the biggest thing. But then once yeah. I had the self-liberation, then I remember being back home shortly after I made this internal decision for myself to self-identify as a witch. I was back home attending a church service with my family because so I have to. And after being away from it for so long, I was just like, oh, this is calming. This is peaceful. I understand why people need this. I understand why people still cling to religion for all of its faults. So that was a great softening of my personal shell as well uh, that I think was very, very necessary. Yeah. So allow me to allow me to self-actualize and break my own shackles, but then also see the beauty in other people's beliefs, even in something that was once so heinous for me. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I relate a lot. I was raised Catholic. And of course, once I turned teenage years, I started to rebel a little and um, had a horrible grudge towards it for a long time. And it yeah. probably... It wasn't until, yeah, like early to mid 30s that I I started to realize, OK, that wasn't for me. But there's a lot of people who find peace in that. And that's actually quite a beautiful thing. Exactly. So, My issue is always more with the individuals who use this doctrine or this coda to do horrible things than the actual practice itself. Because let's be real, there are horrible practices uh, in some forms of witchcraft that I, mm -hmm. I don't like. Yeah. Uh, that that and there are parts of Christianity that I don't like. I'm sure there are parts of other religions that I won't like just because of my own moral stance. But that's a very individualistic human thing. Um, if there's one good thing about the Wiccan read, the idea of uh, not harming others, I think should be a given. Uh, but it isn't. So we're still working on that. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> go back to how you were raised you're, you were from the Bahamas you're from the Bahamas but you had mentioned again when we had spoke that practicing magic in the Bahamas could actually result in jail time so this is kind of a two-part question firstly tell us a little bit more as much as you feel comfortable telling us about that and I'm curious to know like your opinion like why do you think that that's still the case in some countries because I know it's, it's the same in other countries too like why is there people who still believe that witchcraft is this evil practice and therefore anyone practicing it should be punished so uh, growing up in the Caribbean specifically, uh, there are large sections of the population who are black, who would have very different relationships to what ancestral practices were taken and reshifted and coded for survival. First off, um, so a lot of our African ancestors would bring over their traditional spiritual practices. We would know that as traditional African spirituality or traditional African religion. Um, and they would codify it based off of the Christianity that was being forced upon us. So the evolution of some of those practices turned into things like Santeria or Vudun. Um, that is definitely far more common in places like Cuba and Haiti, for example. The Bahamas' equivalent to that would be Obea. So that's O-B-E-A-H. Um, and that is a combination of herbal medicines, belief systems, uh, working with deity, working with spirits. Uh, that was, it's kind of all over the place, but it's kind of, it's hotspot is the Bahamas as far as I'm aware. Now, unlike some of the practices like uh, voodoo, voodoo, 
um, Santeria and those other uh, things, the Bahamas has decided in its colonial wisdom that Obeya specifically is going to be punished. So it is actually in a line of our penal code that has to do with public decency and morality that uh, those who are suspected of practicing Obeya specifically uh, for whatever purpose, ill or otherwise, can receive a fine, I think it's about several thousand dollars, and also jail time if they are so found guilty. This is not the case across the board with uh, other Caribbean nations, but the idea that our traditional practices are still seen as bad is a combination of a lot of things. Some of it has to do with um, the way that practices were being reported to white audiences back in the day when slavery was still a thing. That's kind of how zombies kind of became super popular in pop culture. That's actually a very, that was a very fascinating bit of notes that I had to kind of write and learn about. Wow. Um, and it just kind of snowballs from there. So this idea, first off, when we were enslaved, they wanted to uh, strip all of our identity from us. So the way that we styled our hair, our language, our songs, our dances, our beliefs, all of that had to go. That's something that I think people don't really remember. They just think, like, oh, they just took us over for labor. Like, no, this was a mass cultural genocide that we are still collectively feeling the ramifications of. It's to the point where I've even noticed sometimes a huge divide between those of us from the African diaspora when it comes to trying to understand and reconnect with what it was that we had lost because we feel this. We feel that loss. We feel that disconnect. And then looking to our compatriots at on the motherland in the African continent and feeling a backlash, feeling a distancing, feeling this severing and it's very very painful to kind of deal with but that's a that's a whole other topic um so with this othering with this stripping away of who we are the uh christian missionaries colonial powers in charge basically telling us that we want you to become like us and there's either you become like us or we're gonna beat it out of you until you conform or you die there's no middle ground here so the way that traditional african spirituality has survived in the caribbean is through our ingenuity through our adaptation things even like our languages speaking in codes that we can communicate amongst ourselves but the slave owners the slave masters don't understand what's being said that is a gigantic huge part of history and culture in the caribbean things even like calypso music started off specifically by us code switching to try and relay messages about. Um, So then we get to the present day. The present day Caribbean nations are still, under most circumstances, still considered to be either offshoots of colonial practice or they are granted independence from their colonial masters, but they're still holding on to various beliefs. For example, the Bahamas is a independent nation, but as far as our government is concerned, our head of state is actually still Queen Elizabeth II, as we are a member of the Commonwealth. Oh, okay. So when we swear our allegiance, it's the God and the Queen. The Queen. Uh, yeah. Right? So that's tricky. So then you get... What I uh, sometimes say is that Bahamas has been successfully colonized in the sense that when we gained our independence, which was very recent in uh, human history, it was only in 1973, we're not that old, um, we had built our image, our relationship to the rest of the world, always in this realm of servitude, because that's kind of all we knew, mm-hmm. which is kind of frustrating to deal with as someone from that nation. Um we 
we've we've been a very prideful we've been a very stubborn and it's not like we did like kick and scream our way to independence because we absolutely did um but we didn't have the same bombastic realization that hey this is kind of fucked we outnumber them we can take this land and make it ours in the same way that the haitian revolution started Hmm. but speaking of the haitian revolution when they started there was this rumor that they used their spiritual practice to empower them and then that became the big like oh we need to stamp this out now so even from way back then, those practices were considered to be outlawed and demonic and against human decency and against public dignity. It all gets snowballed. There are all these horrible threads in this braid of colonialism, as I call it, yeah. um, that have basically contributed to this long-standing issue that, at least for the Bahamas' sake, it's so difficult for us to undo that braid and figure out what is our belief and what is the colonial belief. And there's so many individuals who, due to a lack of a proper education, lack of a proper immersion into what exactly is our culture, and not realizing that preserving our history means preserving all of our history and not just what's palatable to a tourism market, means that a lot of these other cultural practices go the way of the dodo. That's not to say that I don't think that Obia is completely dead, and you'd be hard-pressed to really, really, like, press that particular Obia charge on somebody mm-hmm. nowadays because okay. people are just going to think that you're crazy. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it's still on the docket, the fact that it's still in our Constitution, and that no one sees fit to be like, this is kind of backwards. Like, we have freedom of religion in our Constitution. We should be able to remove that. Yeah. Don't because no one cares enough. And that's never been brought up in politics. Has there ever been a politician oh, or heaven, anyone? No, heaven, no. no. Like the basic thing is, if you don't publicly and emphatically declare yourself to be a Christian in every waking breath, they're just going to assume that you're satanic and call it a day. Wow. Even like, though they have there's religious religious freedom. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, and there still be some people there. I know for a fact there's still some people who will see people who are actively like Muslim walking around with their hijab on and then mutter something that is awful. And that's a combination of just this, one of the downsides of pop culture as well, also kind of continuing this gigantic narrative that, oh, anybody who's a practicing Muslim has to be bad because this is the narrative that we've been told through U.S. politics or pop culture. Like, remember years ago when it seemed like every single movie villain was some flavor of, like, Islamic terrorists? Yes. Yeah, guess what that does? It just trickles down so that you think that some random person who's wearing a, a, a hijab of her own free will is suddenly violently oppressed and they need to be rescued. She's like, nah, just that's not how that goes. So it's, to, to answer that very, very long story, it's a combination of colonialism, deep-seated colonialism, uh, an unwillingness to break out and actually make our own identities and not be beholden to our colonial masters or colonial upbringing and people in power twisting our narratives before we have the opportunity to make our narratives ourselves and allowing that pop culture narrative to be the norm yeah so i mean i feel like this could be a whole podcast with many (laughs) episodes on its own but I'm just and this is a huge question so don't worry if you're like I don't really have an answer for this right now but how do you unravel that one day at a time like I for me personally 
when I had gone back home in 2016, after many, many years away, I had this sudden aching pain that I realized that I was so disconnected from my own culture that even though I was itching to get back to Canada and back to my husband at the time, I was dreading leaving because I didn't know when I would be able to go back. And part of the reason for that was I had finally started to be honest and open about the things that I was studying. And I was actually finding to my delight, people younger than me, people who I had left behind, who were not only on a similar journey, but braver than I was at that age to actually start creating events and places where they can talk about it. And nowadays, thank God for the internet, um, these conversations are still happening. So I see somebody asking like, hey, everybody's screaming that Beyonce is worshiping some sort of demon, but she went to South Africa and filmed this amazing project and is talking about, you know, things that if by the grace of God, we would have been able to actually take part in had the scripts been flipped. Mm-hmm. Why are we constantly de- demonizing the things that should be in our blood? And I'm like, yes, have more conversations like this, please. I'm begging you. So it is a one day at a time thing. And I am more hopeful for my generation and those behind me nowadays where we will hopefully realize the larger hypocrisies of what we've been taught and be able to be like, no, this doesn't make any sense. We're not saying that everybody should just like throw away the shackles of Christianity, although I'm saying that. Um, But people should be free to discover their ancestry for themselves. And that's, that's the crux of what I want for the Bahamas. I want us to really and truly embrace who we are. And that means finding those obia men finding those obia women because we talked about them before why didn't why are we not talking about them anymore yeah yeah i mean i'm curious to know if there's even like an obia podcast out there there is but they're probably i mean i mean let me not say this i'm sure that there are persons who are in a capacity to talk about it in the podcast but the very strange difference is that obia isn't the same across the board Right. Right. So where I might, I could very well find many persons talking about hoodoo and African-American root working, because that is very similar to some Obeah practices, but not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for Bahamian Obeah. I cannot, no part of me wants to accept a substitute at this time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, no one's, no one's brave enough to talk about it just yet. So I gotta just keep my fingers crossed and my ears open. Yeah, and hope that that changes. Definitely. Definitely. So to move on to the next question, and you did kind of allude to this, actually, the correlation between witchcraft and feminism. Oh, yeah. Um, Talk a little bit more about that. I I love that you kind of just shared a little bit of a personal side where you used to feel like you were more of a tomboy, but seeing these pop culture characters on TV kind of helped change that. Um, so what about in the grander scheme of things? Like, I never, ever thought of witchcraft as some sort of way to kind of, you know, be more of a feminist. So this is kind of new to me. It's almost like, a, oh, my God, why <laughs> did I not see that, right? Like, that's why didn't I see that? So I'm curious, yeah, just more information on that or share what you know. Yeah, so... Older esoteric practices always had a very strong concentration on either equally balancing the idea of a divine feminine and a divine masculine, 
or it was a very matriarchally set structure. Like patriarchy is a colonialist action. And anybody who is learning this now, sorry, not sorry. Um, (laughs) But there has always been this deep understanding in a lot of older religions and a lot of older mythologies that there is an equal need for these forces. When patriarchy takes over, when colonialism takes over, when heteronormativity takes over, it shuns and and strips away the power of the feminine. So I think this resurgence of witchcraft and this resurgence of feminism is not to be ignored because we are now realizing that the scales have been so long tipped outside of our favor and we're now in a position where in a perfect world, uh, we are on the same footing. So now we want to make sure that we are really and truly on the same footing. So uh, this idea that more young women or more femme-identified individuals are turning to witchcraft, are turning to the idea that they can actively take control of their bodies, that they can use the gifts that were originally seen as mundane or domesticated or feminine to reconnect to the earth, to reconnect to a heritage that has long been buried by colonialism and patriarchy and just use that as a force of self-empowerment and good for the collective, which is again, a very feminine oriented trait. I think that's your larger uh, connecting line that we realize that this individualistic patriarchal approach hasn't been working for ages. And again, if you haven't been paying attention to the news over the last couple of uh, months, uh, lots of systems are burning to the fucking ground. So what happens when those are being destroyed? You'd need to build something else. So I think the witches are the ones leading the revolution. And to borrow a phrase from uh, Ipsita Ray Chakovetti, uh, any strong woman who is being persecuted is a witch. So... Sorry, you're all witches listening to this. Yeah. Uh, if you're fighting the good fight, if you are bucking against patriarchy, if you're bucking against capitalism, if you're bucking against colonialism, if you're bucking against basic straight white male nonsense, congratulations, you're a witch. You're a witch. I love it. I love it. I feel like there should be a t-shirt made with some I'm sort. Sure some, I'm sure someone has already gotten on that. It's not a unique thought for me. I, I'm not the originator of that phrase. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what your larger coalition is. Now, here's the thing. Um, it can still be misconstrued and it can still be done in a way that is grabbing power. So one of the things that I really push when I talk about witchcraft and magic to other people is that, yes, we are dealing with a system, a systemic imbalance when it comes to feminism and witchcraft is a great way to right that wrong. But at the same time, we are beholden to the collective, which is where the midwives, the herbalists, the doctors, the healers of the collective. So as soon as you start power grabbing for yourself and you start neglecting your community, you start neglecting your collective, you are falling right into the trap of the old structures that replace them uh, in part. So a great example um, of an example of really problematic witchcraft. Um, And sorry in advance to anybody who follows this particular subset, but you should know better by now. Dianic Wicca. Okay, I've never heard of this. Dianic Wicca is a subset that was created by Z Budapest in particular. Um, Her story is very fascinating and I won't go into it, but I will plug the Missing Witches podcast because they did a fantastic episode on her. Um, But essentially, she was a proponent of very woman-centric 
Wicca. So eliminating the horned god, eliminating the uh, the masculine from the picture entirety is all about the woman, which in theory sounds great, right? Until you start reading about her being a goddamn turf. And uh, okay. so for those who don't know what a turf is, a trans exclusionary radical feminist, someone who believes that only biological quote unquote women who possess wounds are worthy of holding the title of woman, which I shouldn't have to tell you how fucked up that is. Yeah, and I mean, Um, recently in the media, we just, you know, heard about the whole JK rolling. Yeah, that. So that's a problem. Yes. So that particular ideology, uh, people will make you think that, oh, well, we're doing it to protect women. She's like, no, 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 no. We do deserve to be protected, women, but that's all women deserve to be protected. And the more you fall in the intersections of identity, be it by class, by gender expression, by race, by sexuality, the further in you are, the more that this larger system that you are so desperately trying to break away from, quote unquote, uh, the more that it is built to destroy you. I'm not even like mincing words on that. It is built to destroy people who fall further and further in that intersectional gap. So it is our duty. It is our imperative uh, as witches to make sure that we are protecting the ones who are at stake and empowering them to be able to join us in full standing. We are not here to be TERFs. We are not here to be sex worker exclusive, exactly. Because that's another thing, SWERFs, um, mm. who, oh, okay. are, who are who basically were just like, well, you know, if you work as a stripper, then you deserve what you get. Like that type of nonsense. No, that doesn't fly. Fem- being a woman is far less to do with our reproductive ability, something that we've been yelling about from early feminism. So the idea that witchcraft or a subsect of witchcraft or magic theory is somehow rehearsing this as this is the big truth, she's like, no. All human beings are capable of creation. This is why I like pop culture so much, because if the divine's greatest ability is to create... And we, in turn, are creating stories and worlds and characters and mythos all on our own. We are already fucking powerful. We are already gods, goddesses, deities. Why are we limited to our wombs? Because if that's the case, I would happily give mine up and chuck it to somebody else who actually wants to give birth. Because I don't want this shit. I didn't ask for this. (laughs) It's like, can I donate mine, please? Please, the minute that that becomes viable, like, take it. So... (laughs) Yes, there is an importance between witchcraft and feminism, but feminism is about the equalization and leveling the playing field across the board. It is not about lumping people who identify as women or identify as femme and putting them up on a higher pedestal. That's just creating one monster out of another. Yeah, yeah. And we've already had that problem happen. Like, I mean, look at the system that's in place. And exactly. So we should, we should not be repeating that. Uh, mistake just because we've been feeling this raw imbalance between uh, masculine powers and feminine powers by all means bring bring the divine feminine back i'm here for it but there's more to the equation yeah yeah i love that that's my that's my soapbox (laughs) that's my soapbox (laughs) i love it well i'm going to ask you to stay on your soapbox for one last question you talk about magic and of course when people think about magic they think about you know magicians who have 
doves flying out of their hat and all these kind of, you know, weird, wonderful illusions, I guess, that, that people do. But what does magic mean to you? Like, what's an example that we can relate or maybe understand more? So the way that I always look at magic is that it is how you allow yourself to just surrender to the idea that you can actually create what it is you want. Uh, Plugging my podcast one more time. The reason why episode one concentrated on the secret garden is because I recognized in Colin specifically that character, this young magician spirit that was far wiser than I think the original art uh, author had intended. This idea that when you are a child, you can dream about anything and you're just going to go out and fucking do it. That is magic. That is an incredible source of power that unfortunately, once we get older, it's taken away from us. It's destroyed from us. We are forced to adhere to these capitalist norms that okay, you have to put away your childish dreams and become an adult. You have to become another cog in the capitalist machine. Fuck that. Yeah. I hate that so much. I've been held to it for so, so long. And there, I haven't freed myself completely because, you know, we live in Vancouver. Rent's expensive. It's freaking expensive. I know. I go through but. the career, like, breakdown every few years. Every few years. <laughs> just, just, like, just like, is this really what I was supposed to? Just like, no. The minute that you can embrace you magic that childlike wonder that discovery that joy of discovery something that can't be explained but just feels so right and so nurturing you're already far closer to what magic is supposed to be in my eyes than anything else so uh it's cool to be skeptical of that type of stuff i'm still a skeptic that's one of the things i really really like um skepticism pushes me to explore and to learn more That is what skepticism does for me. It makes me want to find what the universal truth with a capital T is. Skepticism doesn't make me immediately deride a viewpoint or a belief system. That's arrogance. And that's something that I had when you consider like my earlier uh, reactions to persons who were still prophesying about Christianity and stuff like that. Arrogance has no place in the system for me. I want the childlike wonder. I want the, I can really do anything moment. I want that spark of true creative divinity. That is magic. That is what I look for. I love that. And (laughs) you gave like the exact answer I wanted to hear. And obviously listening to your podcast, I had an idea of what you were going to say. And that was a, that was an aha moment for me. (laughs) Again, as someone who I've not read too much about witchcraft or the occult or Wicca or even, you know, paganism is something I would like to delve into one day, but it's just been one of those things again, where I'm interested in, but it just seems unreachable. But as you say, pop culture has kind of changed that. And then it was like, okay, well, what is magic? If I wanted to perform magic, what would that look like? Can I even do that? And it's like, well, you absolutely can. Yeah, you it's I have always been a large proponent that magic is what is intention times a thousand. And all the extra little trinkets are great. Mm -hmm. They're great for the aesthetic, but they're not necessary. Some of the most powerful magic that I cast, me personally, was when I was home in the Bahamas, separated from everything that I had known, was in an area of familiarity that I was struggling with, but also deeply depressed because I was away from the man that I love. And 
working spells to just keep myself afloat and get what I needed quickly. And literally all I had was the internet and a marker. And I just drew shit on my arm. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I did. That's really all I did. But it's the keeping up. And I think a lot of people think that magic is supposed to be this easily accessible thing that automatically solves all your problems. And that's, I think, another large disconnect. Like, no, you have to put in the work. You have to follow up your subconscious desire with tangible conscious action in whichever way that works. And that's one of the things where like magic and ritual attract people because you are reiterating the same message over and over. And eventually the synchronicities align and you're able to get what you want. But it isn't just, oh, well, I'm going to light a candle and walk away for 20 minutes. Like, first off, yeah. that's bad fire safety. Don't do that, please. <laughs> uh, but it is really like you're doing everything with intention. And after the ritual is done, whatever that ritual is for you, whatever accoutrement you want to bring to the table, go out and do the damn thing. Yeah. Do the work. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like um, in the past, I know I've done the whole vision boarding thing. Yay, let's create a vision board. And then, of course, put it up on the wall and I do bloody nothing about it. It just hangs there looking pretty. Don't get me yeah. wrong. The but... idea, I think, behind like a, mis- a vision board ideally is like it's supposed to inspire you to action. Yes. So I would say if you created a vision board and it doesn't inspire you to get the things that are on there, redo your vision board. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. Just, just redo it. I know I could literally talk to you forever, <laughs> but I'm going to wrap up um, just by saying thank you so, so much. This has been intriguing and more, you know, when I had the idea of having a podcast on witchcraft, I didn't expect that it was going to kind of veer into, you know, colonialism, feminism and like how it's all intertwined and entangled too, right? Um, so this has been absolutely fascinating. I highly recommend Lindsay's podcast, everybody. I will link to that. And I know that you're on Instagram. I am on Instagram. So you can find me, me personally at Dark Lake Tarot. That's D-A-R-K-L-A-K-E Tarot. I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram and I am on Twitter. And I also operate through darklaketarot.com. My podcast is called Hey Magical Girl, uh, which deals with the intersection of spirituality and fandom. So of all the nerdy shit I talked about was like, hey, I want to talk more. I'm your girl. So uh, heymagicalgirl.com is where you can find the podcast. Um, It is also on Spotify. I am working on other platforms. And Hey Magical Girl, the podcast is at uh, Hey Magical Girl at Twitter as well. Awesome. Awesome. So please, folks, if you found this interesting, which if you didn't, holy crap, who are you? But anyway, I mean, you're allowed to like what you like. That's I know, okay. I guess, I guess. <laughs> if you like what you heard, please follow Lindsay. I can't thank you enough, honestly, no for problem. just sharing everything that you know. You're incredibly knowledgeable and this has been just a joy to chat to you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. To find out more about Lindsay, please do visit her website, darklaketarot.com and check out her podcast, Hey Magical Girl, by visiting heymagicalgirl.com. You can also connect with her over on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at darklaketarot and you'll find her podcast on Twitter too at heymagicalgirl and of course all the links are in the show notes. 
Now, you can find more about this little podcast by visiting uncomfortable.blog or you can follow us on social media at uncomfortable.blog on Facebook and Instagram and uncomfy underscore podcast on Twitter. As I mentioned at the beginning, you can support this little indie podcast by becoming a patron and giving as little as $2 per month. This will help me cover podcasting expenses such as hosting, editing and equipment upgrades. This podcast was recorded and produced on the unceded shared traditional territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Thank you for listening. Now go out there and get uncomfortable.